Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David takes a look at the purpose of joy. Where do we get our joy and why should Christians be some of the most joyful people? Let's listen. Well, as you heard, Valentine's Day is tomorrow and so I thought today would be a good Sunday to talk about the purpose of joy. I mean, after all, we've spent two weeks talking about the purpose of pain, and that was good and that's helpful, but that's not the most uplifting topic. And so let's spend this morning studying the purpose of joy. When I say that word, when I say joy, is there a particular image that comes to your mind, that that just pops to the forefront of your mind when you hear the word joy? I'm going to share with you an image that I think of when I think of joy. It's, it's actually a video, and it's a video of my daughter Riley when she was two years old. You see, she had a, a bean bag, and she was trying to throw that bean bag into a bucket. But being a two-year-old, she was very uncoordinated and wasn't really working very well. And then I decided on my phone just to take a quick video, and what I ended up capturing, completely by accident, uh, was pure joy. Let, let's go ahead and check out that video. I don't know if there's another word for that besides just joy when she realized, I got it. I got it into the bucket that I've been trying to do, and her face just lights up. That's, that's what we mean when we talk about this word joy. It's not just a word. It's that all-encompassing feeling that captures every bit of you. Now, if you do look up joy simply in the dictionary, uh, what you're going to find is that the definition of joy is the feeling of great pleasure and extreme happiness. So joy is not just being a little bit happy or somewhat pleasurable. No, it's extreme happiness and great pleasure. I believe that Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. And I bet when I said that, your mind came up with a dozen reasons why not to be joyful right now. And you're right. You're right. There's always going to be a reason not to be joyful. Uh, this world is not the easiest world to live in, but I still believe, despite all of those reasons, that Christians should be the most joyful people in the world. And to explain why, let me give you my definition of Christian joy. So not simply joy, but Christian joy. I believe that joy is our natural reaction to seeing the work of God in the world. You see, when I see the work of God in the world, when I see God active in the world, that brings me a profound sense of joy. When I see God doing something in my life, or in the life of this church, or, or in your life, that brings me extreme happiness and great pleasure. I feel joy. And what I'd like to do today is look at two biblical examples of joy in the Bible to hopefully encourage us as Christians to become the joyful people that I think God designed us to be. And so we're going to look at this first example, and it comes from a parable. It's a parable I bet you're familiar with, 
And that's why I want you looking at a particular part of the parable. I want you to look in this parable, where do you see the joy? Okay, look for the joy in this parable. It begins in Luke chapter 15, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Okay, Jesus is asking us to imagine for a second that we are shepherds. And shepherds in this time period, you would generally have between five and and 15 sheep. But this particular shepherd had a hundred sheep to keep track of. And one of those sheep gets lost. You probably know this story pretty well. Well, when a sheep gets lost, that sheep's going to become agitated. And unlike a dog, it's not just going to follow you home again once you find it. No, the sheep becomes so agitated that a shepherd would have to pick it up and actually bring it home, actually walk that sheep home. Um, So that's the context of this parable. And Jesus goes on. Jesus says, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. All right, we've got our first example of joy in this story. Where did you see the joy, and what caused it? Well, the shepherd experiences great joy when the shepherd finds his lost sheep. And even though He has to carry that sheep on his shoulders all the way home. He still experiences joy. I don't think I would experience much joy if I have a sheep on my shoulders and who knows how far I'm walking to carry it home. But to the shepherd, it doesn't matter because the shepherd is just so excited, so joy-filled that he found the sheep he was looking for. So now is probably a good time to remind ourselves Um, what each of the things in this parable represent. So Jesus represents the shepherd. We know in Scripture that Jesus is the good shepherd, okay? So Jesus is the shepherd, which makes us then the sheep, which makes sense. We're a little bit aimless, and, you know, we need to be carried back places at times. And so what we're being told here is that Jesus experiences great joy when he finds one of us who has been lost. Now, obviously, we're not talking about physically being lost, but we're talking about spiritually being lost. So who or what would the spiritually lost be? Let's think about that term for a second. Because if Jesus is so excited when he finds one of us who have been lost, what does that really look like or feel like? when a person is spiritually lost? Well, I thought in my own life, well, maybe it's those times when you just don't know really what to believe. Or maybe it's those times that you're not feeling the presence of God in your life. Or perhaps it's those times where you're just not sure what's true. I would think these are descriptions uh, of a person who feels spiritually lost, and I bet that we've been there a time or two in our lives. And God experiences great joy when he finds us and figuratively puts us on his shoulders and walks us home. And there's more joy to come. The scripture goes on. It says, Then 
he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Yes, when the one who is lost has been found, it's an opportunity for the whole community of faith to gather together in celebration and rejoicing. I mean, to rejoice is literally to be filled with joy. And so all of the the friends and the neighbors here are gathering together because they're so excited too that the one who is lost has now been found. So in our context, that would be like the whole church community gathering together when one who has been spiritually lost is found by God. Now, I think this is a good time in this parable to to remember and point out that God is always present, right? Like God is right here, right now, all the time. So when we say that one has been found by God, that's not to say that God has lost us or that God has misplaced us somewhere, but instead, it's to say that that person, maybe for the first time in their life, realized that God was present. I mean, God is always present, but sometimes it takes a bit of an awakening for us to to wake up to that fact, to, to realize that God is here, that God is a part of my life, and God has always been there. I think that's what we mean when we say someone's been found by God, that for the first time in their life, they recognize God is right by my side, And God has been by my side each and every day of my walk. I mean, I can remember when I was doing student ministry, I had a conversation with a high school student, and he was extremely honest with me. And he said, David, I just don't know where I am with God right now. I said, okay, tell me more about that. And he said, I'm confused about my faith. I'm confused about where I think God is in my life, and I just don't know what to do. I think that high school student would probably fall under this category of feeling spiritually lost in that moment. But you know what happened? We kept talking. We kept having him ask questions. And that relationship, uh, when I was in student ministry, spanned then probably the next six or seven years. And what was amazing was to then look back on that time and see the way that over time, gradually, he began to grow closer to God. Gradually, he became, began to wake up to the awareness that God was in his life, and the confusion um, slowly drifted away and changed into some clarity in his life. And I can't tell you how much joy I experienced seeing God work in his life, and being able to point back years later and say, look how different things are now. I mean, that's a description of someone who has been found by God. And I wonder if you have your own examples of that. Here's Jesus' conclusion. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The conclusion here is that not only does God rejoice over that individual who has been found, not only does the faith community 
rejoice when someone turns to God. But God says there's going to be a party in heaven when someone turns their life over to God and recognizes that God is present in their life. I mean, when, when a person authentically shifts their own heart and recognizes the goodness of God, is there anything that we could be more joyful about? I really believe that, that Christians should be on the front lines of having these sorts of spiritual conversations with people. Because how else will we know? How else will we know where, how someone's feeling truly in their heart and what God might be doing in their lives? And so part of the encouragement from this scripture is to look for opportunities to talk about this with people. To actually talk about how they are feeling in their faith and their awareness of God and how you might be feeling as well. And if we are lucky enough to be there when someone turns maybe for the first time to God, oh, what an opportunity for celebration and rejoicing. Yes, so what we're learning here is that Christians are filled with joy because we recognize that there's more happening in this world than simply the physical things that we can see. There's a spiritual reality too. God is working in people's hearts each and every day of their lives. And that, that's a reason for joy, particularly when you can see the growth in a person's heart. Okay, so that's the first example that I see of this biblical joy in the Bible, of seeing God work in people's hearts. And I, I hope you're already thinking in your own minds of the, the different people that you've seen God work on, even over the course of years in your own life. So keep thinking about that, because that's a component of joy. But there's another aspect of joy, too, that I want to explore a little bit. And, and this comes from the Apostle Paul. Um, it's his description of joy. So we're going to read a, a portion of a letter that he wrote to a church in Thessalonica. Um, we call the letter 1 Thessalonians. And did you know, fun fact, it's actually the first letter that Paul wrote that we have in our Bibles. And so you are reading one of the most historical documents in the New Testament. Um, but what we learn from this letter is that Paul originally traveled to Thessalonica with two partners in ministry. So he traveled with Silvanus and Timothy, and the three of them traveled to Thessalonica, and they spent a year in Thessalonica. Now, this city was known for featuring a particular type of market building called an insula. Uh, we've got a picture of what an insula looks like. So these were pretty common in Roman cities, but what I want you to notice, particularly in Thessalonica, was they had these buildings called insulas where the bottom floor was where the storefront would be, and it opened up into the marketplace. You can see how it's, it's raised and opens into the market. And then the person who worked at or owned the shop would be living on the second story. And so what we believe is that the three men, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus, probably rented one of these for the year. And then they, they worked in the lower building selling uh, either their tents, because remember Paul was a tent maker, or selling different leather-type works. What we find out, if you read this whole letter, 
is that Paul talks so much more in this letter than any other about sharing about God in the marketplace, more than in the synagogue. It's a really interesting part, of, you know, because they have been interacting, they're selling their things every day with probably dozens of people in this city. What a good opportunity it is for them to just share about God and share about the love that God has for people. So when you read this letter, it's a good opportunity for us, too, to think, well, how much time do I spend talking about God outside of church as opposed to simply inside church? You know, how much time in the marketplace and not just in the synagogue? Well, there's a a neat encouragement here when, so Paul spent a year, then he leaves to go plant more churches, but he writes a letter back to this community. And that's where we're going to pick um, up today. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Well, you can tell, even from this beginning portion of this chapter, just how fondly they think of one another, how warmly they remember the time they spent together. Well, it appears that Timothy was able to travel back to Thessalonica and spend some time with the church that they started there. And then he goes back to Paul and and brings some greetings and some updates on what that church had been doing in their absence. And so now Paul goes to talk specifically about what he has heard that they've been up to since he's been gone. says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Well, there's that joy word again. So what is filling Paul with joy in this particular passage? Well, it's two things, actually. The first thing that's filling Paul with joy is the fact that the people in this church, this church of Thessalonica that that he started but can no longer be physically present with, that they have continued to grow in their faith. They didn't just stop once Paul left. they're, They're not just treading water in their faith, even though he's not helping them grow anymore. No, they have continued to grow in their faith. And he uses a particular term, to speak about their growth in faith, which I think is an interesting one. He says that they have been standing firm in the Lord. Yes, he says when you see someone standing firm in the Lord, that is a reason for joy. When I think of that particular term, I I think of, okay, well, it's, it's when a person maybe doesn't retreat, or when a person doesn't relent, and, you know, holds tight to their faith no matter what. When in your life have you, has it been necessary 
to stand firm in your faith. I mean, particularly, I, I think of when I was a high school student. Because in high school, it can be hard to live out your faith. It can be a challenge to say, yeah, this is what I believe, and this is what, how I'm going to act because of that. To stand firm in your faith. Paul says when he sees people doing that, it brings him so much joy. And it should bring us joy as well. So that's the first thing that brings Paul joy. But then the second is that Paul says he receives joy simply from being in the presence of God. He recognizes that he is always in the presence of God, and for him, that is truly enough to feel that joy. It doesn't matter what else is happening in his life. It doesn't matter whatever problems he's facing when he can remind himself that he is in the very presence of God, that is a reason for joy. I wonder if we can learn from that as well, that it doesn't matter what problems we're facing or what, is, uh, what worries are coming to our mind. If we can pause, even for a second, and remind ourselves that God is here, that God is present, and that God loves us, what a reason for joy in that moment. So let's recap. What have we learned about joy and the purpose of joy today? Well, for Christians, joy comes from seeing God at work, seeing God at work in the world. And we studied three biblical examples of this, right? When you see someone who's been spiritually lost return to God, that's a reason for joy. Or when you see God working in a person's life and them taking a step in faith towards God, that's a reason for joy. Or when you personally feel and experience the presence of God in your life, that is a reason for joy. So my encouragement to take what we've learned and bring it into your own lives this week, my encouragement is for you to act as detectives this week. And here's what I mean. I want you to look for ways that God is at work in the world. And I want you to search for ways that you see other people growing in their faith. And then I want you to identify moments throughout your day when you recognize the presence of God. Look, search, identify. Be detectives and then realize that all of these things, when you see God at work, all of these things are profound reasons for joy. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.